Welcome to the new episode of the Miles High Podcast. This is Miles Monroe Jr. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. As you know, always on the on the podcast, my vision and purpose for this for this podcast is to entertain, educate, and elevate you miles high above your fears, your doubts, and any limitations that you may feel exist. Uh, keeping in mind that those limitations only exist in your head. Okay. Uh, Feeling good today, crew. See, everyone looks good. Everyone feels good. Got a special uh, pod for you today. Um, but before we get to that, I just wanted to, uh, I was thinking about this week, just how much I like to help people, right? I really get gratitude about um, lending a hand and being able to help in any way that I can. And I, I, I was thinking about it uh, this week and realized that it's just something that's embedded uh, in my DNA, right? It started with my grandparents uh, on both my dad and my mom's side. Uh, both of my grandparents, all of my grandparents uh, were persons who loved to help people. Uh, and obviously it, it trickled down into my parents, both of my parents. And uh, I think it, it's embedded in, in me now. Uh, and I just enjoy helping people, man. And that's, you know, whether it's lending uh, funds or giving monetary donations or giving my time or lending some advice. Um, helping people is something that I enjoy, right? And I, I think it's it's a principle of life, right? Do unto others as you will have them do unto you. Uh, and it, it doesn't have to be something where uh, you're helping the less fortunate all the time. It could just be helping a friend or helping a family member um, or doing something on your job where you're you're going above and beyond what you would normally do, right? And, and I think that's what it's about. And, you know, I don't do it for recognition. I don't do it for anything in return. And I think that's the best part about it. Because you have a lot of people out there who, like, help uh, and donate and do things for others for recognition, right? We live in a, a social media world where people are often seeing, like, helping others uh, on the streets, uh, the less fortunate and it's always recorded. And I'm always like skeptical. I mean, for a lot of them, you know, I, I feel like it's genuine and it's something that uh, people mean wholeheartedly. But there are, there are some individuals that do it just for the recognition, you know, just for the clicks, just for the likes. Um, and, you know, that's not the way to do it. Uh, but, you know, my point in saying all of this is I want to encourage each of us to, on a daily basis, like help someone who uh, you're able to and whatever that help is whatever that assistance that you can lend to them uh, do it and I think you're going to see uh, you're going to see it, it given back to you or paid back to you far above and beyond the help that you give and you know I always I always say that um, you know my my wife and I and I feel like she has the, the, the heart that I have right we, we, we love to help people and it's you know it's ironic that uh, we share so much similarities in the things that we like to do, um, and helping people is one of those. And you know, she would come to me and you know give me a story and be like, "Yo, I read this, or I heard about this person, and you know, I think we should, you know, do this or do that, or you know, whatever the the situation is." Um, and I think it 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 continues to allow us to be blessed, right? Because you know, I, I truly believe in the saying that you're blessed to be a blessing. Uh, I I feel that wholeheartedly. And I think uh, some blessings, some of the blessings that we continue to see 
comes from the, the, the assistance that we continue to give. Um, and that's a principle that I think you can, you can take on. So, you know, I want to just want to encourage, like I say, each and every one of us on a daily basis. Uh, let's try to just help, man. Just, just give and lend a hand to those who are in need, uh, whatever, whatever need that is. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, to get that off. You know, I, I, I really was thinking about that coming into this uh, particular episode. Um, and speaking of this episode and speaking of lending a hand and helping people, and I think it, it just fits right into this episode, right? Because uh, what I wanted to, to discuss on this episode, the topic of this particular episode, we're going to be discussing mental health, right? And I think it's a topic that has become uh, widely discussed, especially in the last three to four years. And I'm, I'm happy for it, right? Because this is, this is a subject that has been in existence uh, for quite a while, right? From from you know back in the day from you know 2000 years ago mental health and mental illness has existed and it's always good when we could have discussions on it especially when i could bring it to my platform i could speak a little bit about uh some mental uh illnesses that i have been dealing with um in particular you know dealing with loss of loved ones you know i, I think that's a that's something that all of us will experience, and how do we how do we go about dealing with uh, those types of losses? Um, but I would be remiss if I tried to do this part by myself. Um, I think I could shed a lot of light on you know certain uh, aspects of the subject, but I, I thought it would be good to bring someone that is uh, a bit more credible than me. Right? I have a friend uh, on the pod today, um, actually our first guest. Uh, so welcome. She is going. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy to finally introduce uh, the first guest. This is a, a friend of mine. We actually have, have known each other for the majority of our lives. Uh, we grew up in our church together. I think we went to high uh, elementary school together, uh, something like that. It could be wrong. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, but I want to welcome to the Mileside Pod, Dr. Davina Knowles. Uh, she is a professional psychiatrist. Uh, someone who is well-versed in the field and the subject that we're going to be talking about today. So, Davina, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mileside Pod. Thank you so much for having me, um, Miles, but as I affectionately call you, Charo. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so, getting used to that. Um, I am a mental health professional, a psychiatrist by profession. I started out in the Bahamas, lived here most of my life. Um, went to school in Canada at Dalhousie University, um, Nova Scotia, where I got a Bachelor's of Science degree. Mm -hmm. um, transitioned to St. Augustine's Trinidad, um, where I obtained my medical degree. Um, I came back home, did my clinical practice. Been at the Mental Health Hospital here, Sandalands Rehabilitation Center for the last seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, where I've worked in different areas of mental health, which includes males, females, forensics, children, substance abuse, um, the elderly, geriatrics. So a whole plethora of um, different fields in psychiatry. So during that whole seven years, I obtained my doctorate of medicine in psychiatry doing my residency program. So completed qualified a Absolutely. specialist. <laughs> Congratulations, man. She Thank you. actually recently became a doctor, right? No, became a psychiatrist. Became a psychiatrist. So I, 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 I um, completed my medical school degree in 
2015. That's right. Yes. Right. <laughs> but recently so, became a psychiatrist. Correct. Absolutely. So let's let's go back to the beginning, right? Because like I said, I've known you for quite some time, and I know that um, this field was in the initial or the first field that you wanted to get into, right? So let's let's go back. Let's let's like how was your upbringing? Like, what did you initially want to do? as a profession, um, and how did you get into into this particular field? You're very much correct. Mm -hmm. um, so initially when I started out and went to um, school in Canada, my original path was to be a dentist, an orthodontist specifically. Like I remember writing in a primary school um, entry that I wanted to be an orthodontist from probably before I kind of knew myself. Um, and I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more because you spoke about loss. Mm -hmm. I too have lost a parent at a very young age. At 14, um, my mom, she passed away from breast cancer. So when I was supposed to go to dental school, I transitioned in my first year from dentist to doctor, general practice, with the intention of becoming an oncologist, obviously to you know go in the field that kind of took my mom's life, right. you know, help people, help others with that type of issue. So when I was doing my clinical practice in the Bahamas at the Princess Margaret Hospital here, I didn't really feel as passionate about that specialty as it were. Um, I didn't really see that that was where I was called to be. So I know you spoke about purpose. And so I prayed about it and I was like, you know, I don't really think that this is a right fit for me. Mm. Um, and I wanted to go into um, women's oncology which is like more like the ovaries the uterus that type of thing um so i was supposed to go to freeport which is another island in the bahamas mm -hmm. um the day after internship and again it was just like i'm supposed to be there but i don't really feel like that's where i'm supposed to be and so i called the director of the psychiatry department here in the Bahamas. And I was like, um, I know it's the day before my transition from internship to general practice. Do you guys have any spots left? And she was like, uh, yeah, we'll take you. And even in that journey um, with mental health, it was a lot of stigma even within the profession. Right. Um, a lot of people say that, oh, you're the crazy doctor because you go to work with quote unquote crazy people. It was a very big stigma, still a very big stigma against mental health, which is um, very strange to me because I mean, it's very important, right? Um, but yeah, there was a lot of stigma against me choosing psychiatry um, as a profession because people were like, why would you waste your brain? You're you know, one of the smartest. You could be such a better doctor in their words, you know, like use your talents for better or whatever. Um, but I was like, you know what? I, I feel drawn to this area. Like this is where there's a need. It isn't fulfilled. Um, a lot of people weren't passing the psychiatry program at the time. And like I said, there was a very high stigma against mental health. Mm -hmm. So I did feel drawn to going in that area. So I obtained, um, I went into the program um, at the University of the West Indies for psychiatry and finished um, on track on time. Um, in light of the pandemic, which kind of pushed us back six months, but still on target. And so that's kind of where I came yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I, like I said, I've seen the, the journey. Like I remember when you went off to uh, study dentistry, uh, mm -hmm. specifically orthodontistry. And 
uh, you know, obviously, you know, <clears throat> the story of your mother passing, we'll get to that uh, in a couple of minutes. Um, but then you transition in on to on oncology. And I think that's like pretty normal, right? You have, uh, you experience some, some trauma or some loss in a sense, and you know, like it changes the trajectory of your life, right? And, and you kind of move into something, I guess you could say off of emotions, but you know, sometimes it's warranted and it's just something like, man, if I had known this, I could have done this, like that type of field. Um, right. And then transitioning into psychiatry, um, uh, and becoming a psychiatrist and you know you and I you and I have spoken quite a bit on like the stories and your experience uh, to this point um, but before we get into the experience I wanted to kind of define mental health and mental illness for first just a, as a foundation because you know like, like you said there's a stigma when it comes to mental health uh, mental illness and there, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of people who hesitate from discussing you know whether they have uh mental health issues um because you know people will call them crazy or you know they'll just be this negative um stigma behind it so let, let's define what what mental health is or mental illness is um as a foundation for what we want to discuss okay sounds good so i like to say mental health is health mm -hmm. right because i like to use analogies as well when you think of a car right you think of the shiny object on the outside. But your car can't go without your engine. And the same way we as humans, we can't go without our brain, right? Mm -hmm. So mental health is health. Um, and as a med student, we learned first, you can't know what abnormal is until you know how to examine what normal is. Absolutely. So in terms of mental health, the normal aspect of mental health, it is a very big umbrella. Um, it, it encompasses things like your the way that you eat, your moods, so happy, sad, angry, irritable. It encompasses things like not being in touch with reality, things like substance use, that type of thing. And you spoke about trauma, so it does include that as well. So when you talk about mental health illness, um, similar to physical illness, if you have too much sugar or you have too little sugar, those are abnormal things, those are pathologic. Everybody has a blood pressure. So you have high blood pressure and you have low blood pressure. And once it's not in the middle, that's when you have an illness. Right. So the same for a mental illness. When, so there's, there's normal feelings of sadness. There's normal feelings of anger. There's normal feelings of feeling irritable. So we have things under the umbrella of mental health that include things like mood disorders, right? So there's highs and lows. So we call the highs bipolar disorder where it's, you know, your manic phase where you get very irritable. Some symptoms include lack of sleep, um, not wanting to do too much things where um, is in keeping with reality. Um, so you're easily distracted. Your thoughts are going really fast. You have a lot of goals. You want to do a lot of things at once. Persons may engage in risky behaviors. And so if those things, and so in um, psychiatry, we use timelines too. So with bipolar illness, um, if you are in the manic phase, if you see these symptoms over a week, then we're saying you're having a manic episode in your bipolar disorder, right? Mm -hmm. And then opposite to that if, is the low poles. And so we call that depression. And so depression has different um, severities. So you have medium, high, severe, et cetera. And so the symptoms for that would include, you know, depressed mood, obviously lowness, 
some people or um, younger folks, we might see them become a little bit more irritable. So it's not as they're like walking around with a somber face. Um, we talk about um, eating. So if they're eating too much or eating too little, sleeping too much, sleeping too little, feeling hopeless, not being able to concentrate, having low energy, and the taboo thing, asking about suicide, right? The thoughts about wanting to end your life, thoughts to want to harm yourself, not wanting to be around. And when I say taboo is that people don't like talking about it, but the thing about it, how can you address something if you don't talk about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So those are the spheres of mood illnesses. Then we have things like psychotic illnesses that people talk about schizophrenia. So when we say psychosis, that's just a fancy term of being not in touch with reality. So they can be saying things, acting abnormally. They talk about hallucinations. So people that hear, see, feel, so all of the different senses that they, are, they themselves are experiencing as their reality, but those around them not really seeing that as much as the reality around right. them. Mm -hmm. um, delusions, you know, again, not being in touch with reality. So thinking as though people are out to get them. So we call that paranoia, thinking that someone's in love with them. So grandiose or um, eratomanic, right? Or having these high powers, that's the grandiose delusions where they think that, you know, they could be the prime minister or the queen, that type of thing. So all of those things fall under, you know, psychosis. And then we have eating disorders, so bulimia, anorexia, people think, or body dysmorphic disorders when they think that, you know, they're too skinny, they're too big, and so they're trying to do all these different things to try to lose the weight. So you see them either popping pills to, or like laxatives in order to like have a, a, a good pass or excessively working out in the gym. And so like I said, there's normal and there's abnormal. So if you see this person who's clearly underweight, but in their mind, they're looking in the mirror and they're saying, well, you know what, I'm overweight. So in the gym 24 seven, they're not going to work because they feel like they have to lose this weight. That's a disorder, mm -hmm. right? Um, then we talk about things like personality. So people use the term that's, you know, you have um, your antisocial which for us, we use the DSM-5, right? So the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And we're on the fifth edition, so we spoke about you saying that, you know, mental health has been around for over 2,000 years. So over the, the course of time, um, the manual has kind of evolved. Mm -hmm. So we say that the disorder comes about because it's not in keeping with cultural or societal norms. So in, thing, in certain cultures, like um, I guess Chinese versus the Bahamian culture, things might not be the same, so we wouldn't ca classify that as a disorder, mm -hmm. right? In the Bahamas, for example, people are very religious. We consider ourselves a Christian nation, mm -hmm. as it were. So that means some people will talk about, oh, you know, they hear the voice of God, but in the church setting, we're not going to be like, oh, you have a mental illness, you're having an hallucination. So it's like when it's too excessive and is not in keeping with this culture, then, you know, that's the illness. So in terms of like the personality disorders, those are things that are kind of embedded in the person, who they are, and they, they kind of classify them in different clusters. So for example, there's the odd kind of people that kind of is in their, their personality. Then there's the eccentric people. So I spoke about the antisocial type of thing. That to the, the layman person would mean, you know, somebody who doesn't want to be out in crowds. But to me as a psychiatrist, if you say you have an antisocial personality disorder, those are persons 80 to 95% of them are imprisoned because they have lack of remorse. They don't have regard for other persons. They steal, that type of thing. So, so antisocial, because I consider myself 
on a low scale, I guess, to be like super anti-social, right? And I think it has a lot to do with uh, me being more of an introvert. Right. So like, I don't necessarily feel comfortable in like large crowds or right. feel comfortable like talking to like people I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I don't know, like, I'm not right. close to or whatever. So would you, is that considered? To no, be? those two things are totally okay. different. So that's you being less sociable as opposed to having an antisocial personality gotcha. disorder okay. where that is a completely different thing. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess uh, a lot of the men, so, so we can conclude that there are many types of me mental illnesses. Right? Correct. And they vary on a, a drastic scale, like to, from, I guess, low, uh, severity, low, low severity to right. high severity. Correct. Right. Um, and I guess in, in, in identifying and recognizing the signs or symptoms of these various varying uh, mental illnesses, I'm sure that, that varies on, from person to person and this is the low severity and high severity of the scale that they vary on, right? Right. Um, so let's, let's, I guess, I, I want to jump into a personal conversation now because we, so we've, we've discussed um, the types of mental illnesses so I want to just talk about one that can bring on uh, mental disorders within person, right? And that's dealing with loss. Like you, you, I, you've, you've lost your mother um, much earlier than I, I lost my parents. You lost your mother at the age of 14. Uh, I lost my parents at the age of, of 29. But I would assume that the impact, um, regardless of the age of the individual, uh, could be severe, you know, based on like the relationships, the connections, uh, where this person is in their life, the, how mature they are and whatnot. Um, so just, you know, from, I know what my experience is and I'll, I'll kind of give uh, my experience um, throughout this, this, this particular podcast, but what, what, how was it for you? Like at 14, because obviously you, you, I don't think you would have known anything about mental health at the time, but looking back uh, with the knowledge and experience that you have now, um, how did losing your mother at the age of 14 affect you mentally? So you spoke about something that's very significant as, a, as it relates to mental health, right? So we talk about different things that could affect mental health. And so one of those things are stressors, so environmental things. Mm -hmm. So the loss of a parent can induce different um, types of illnesses like depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, depending on how you might have lost that parent. Things like genetics can predispose somebody. So if you had a relative, like a close family member, like a father or mother who had a mental illness, like depression, you're more predisposed or more likely to develop a mental illness. Um, things like drugs. Um, people don't think, um, in our culture, they say if you smoke weed, if you're laced, then you're going to get a mental illness. You can act crazy. Mm. And I don't like the word crazy because that's not really a, a good term. Right, it's not endearing at all. So how so? Let's let's, let's lean in on that. <laughs> so because it's derogatory, like when we spoke about stigma, it, it doesn't. If someone called you crazy, are you going to be likely to try to get help or assistance for that illness? We don't call somebody that has diabetes crazy or a derogatory term mm. because of their illness. You don't ask for an illness to happen to you. It just happens to you, regardless of you know your situation, your circumstances, your genetics, if you used um, a substance like marijuana that does have 
hallucinogenic properties. So some people could smoke marijuana one day and trip versus someone who smoked 100 times, never tripped, and then the 101 time is now predisposed to that mental illness because of the increase in chemicals or their situation at the time of them smoking, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, we don't, we don't try to use derogatory terms gotcha. to define mental illness. So breaking stigma is very important. Um, circling back to me in terms of my mental health, um, there were definitely a lot of significant, as it were, traumas um, in my life um, not just with my mom, but just generally in terms of financial situations with my parents. Um, and I guess one of the bigger ones at the time was my mom passing. Uh, I think at the moment, now they say um, retrospect, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think there wasn't enough done as it related to the traumas or the different situations that happened for me and my siblings. Um, when we were younger. But again, to your point, I don't think that mental health was at the forefront of a lot of black homes. Mm -hmm. Um, In the Bahamas, not a lot of Christian homes, Mm -hmm. not a lot of um, Bahamian, um, it was a very taboo topic. So now to say that you're going to take your 14, 10, nine-year-olds to go get counseling, why? We can take them to church. But the reality of it is, we probably did need some form of therapy to get us over the hump, because we did then use different outlets, my brother, sister, and I, um, to overcome that trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Dealing with, uh, so with me personally, my mom had a chronic illness. She found a lump in her breast. Um, We were moving to the States at the time She found the lump and we just decided to stay there for her to get medical attention. Her cancer was very aggressive. So she underwent chemotherapy and radiation. Um, The chemotherapy, she would call it, killed her faster. Like I would see times when my mom would be in the bathroom and we lived in a home where their wing was way further than ours. Mm. And so I could hear her retching and vomiting. And so it's just like, that tugs at your heart, your, your heartstrings um, as a child because you know there's nothing you can do to help her. And so she fought. Um, we had family members come over. She underwent um, the chemotherapy and the radiation, like I said. They thought they got it all. Um, life happened um, as it pertained to other relatives and other things in my life that I won't kind of share on now, but mm-hmm. it definitely, other life events happened during that time moved back to the Bahamas, um, she found another lump. So at that time, she had said that she didn't want to undergo any more treatment because she felt as though it killed her faster. Um, It was so hard on her body to even go through any more treatment. So she made the decision for herself that she didn't want to undergo chemotherapy anymore or radiation. Life happens again, and so the chemo, I mean the lump or the cancer, the Mm. medical term metastasized, Mm. it spread. She inevitably ended up having cancer throughout her body, Um, and the final straw was having a tumor on her spine, which was the size of like a grapefruit. To the point of her being in and out of hospital, um, and during that period, 
another life event happened. So my dad wasn't there for about two years. And so I was, you know, the person taking care of my mom, along with my grandmother, who ended up having Alzheimer's, her mom. So. And at this point, you're what age? Um, 12, 13. Okay. Um, so taking care of, uh, obviously, we, mental health, again, dementia is a part of mental health. So we call that major neurocognitive disorder, where um, it falls under the umbrella of dementia and those dementia-like illnesses. And so dealing with a grandmother who didn't know who we were, mm -hmm. essentially, at a, a lot of the times, and a mom who didn't want to tell anybody else that she was undergoing um, a relapse was kind of a burden for a 12, 13 year old. I had to definitely grow up really quickly. Um, my dad came back and my mom said she was literally holding on for him to come back. And when he came back, the, when I tell you it was like a wildfire, like when you're just like spraying a wildfire with a spritz bottle mm -hmm. and then it finally has time to like explode. And so the cancer had already like essentially taken over her body. I remember one of the last times she went into the hospital she was telling the nurses that, hey, I have this pain. Um, can you guys give me some assistance? Whatever ended up happening, she ended up being paralyzed. So for a month, my mom was almost in hospice care at home in a bed, a hospital bed. We were taking care of my mom, and she essentially told me, like, I'm done. And so I say all of that to say that that was a very traumatic experience for a 12-year-old mm. to have never gone through therapy. Um, at the time, like you said, you don't know that it's traumatic. It's just life, right? Um, you don't have somebody to share with. You don't have somebody to express, like, these are ways that you can cope with stress. This is your normality. Like, this is who you are, and this is what forms you. So I, I say all that to, to then say, I guess it did shape me into who I am and understanding the importance of having somebody to talk to, having someone who's removed from your living situation that can give tips and tools to assist with, you know, those struggles. So you say your family said that, like, that period of time, they didn't think, like, uh, I guess a counselor was needed. I guess they looked at it as, you know, let's go to church, right? I don't, uh, well, and it was never said. I think my dad in recent times has said that's one of the things that he regretted, not letting us mm. talk to somebody. But I think it wasn't a go-to mm. for any um, Bahamian household to say, well, you should take them to counseling. You should take them to a therapist. They probably went through a lot, like, offer those services. And you think you think that's changed now? Do you think uh, Bahamian homes, black homes, um I'm not just in, even in the Bahamas, just globally. Um, do, do you think our our community is more open now to, to, to counseling? There's still definitely a stigma. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about the pandemic being one of those things that kind of broke the mold a little bit because I think the pandemic helped people kind of normalize needing somebody, needing an outlet, needing, um, even if it's just talk therapy, right? Um, and I joke with a lot of my colleagues where it's like people have normalized the fact that hey i have a, a therapist i think that's like gen z thing like you know what i talked to my therapist Absolutely. about this and i think social media has kind of given us that okay to have 
somebody to talk to, mm-hmm. somebody that I get meds from. And it's kind of broken that taboo. Our culture is a bit slower to that, but I think it is kind of progressing into it. Yeah, I think it's great, though, because you do hear a lot of people talk about, you know, they're going to talk to their therapist or I see my therapist once a week, or right. twice a week. And I do think it's something that's necessary. Right. And, you know, back to to like your experience, like we, I'm sure there are tons of persons out there who um, you, like you deal with these traumatic, ex- traumatic experiences uh, when it comes to like. Uh, how it affects our mental health right and you have like persons like you who it's like uh it's an ongoing trauma right because you how old were you when your mother was first diagnosed um 12 11 around there like i said very progressive like it happened very quickly so she was diagnosed and in two three years she was deceased she passed so you know you had a two two to three year period where like a lot was thrown at you as an 11 12 year old right um and you had to watch like this traumatic experience happen this this person that you loved and that you cared for like you had to see them on a daily basis like the struggles that they had the things that they had to go through and that in and of itself is traumatic right and then on the other spectrum you have someone like myself who you know, my, my parents, for the most part, like, we're never six. We're, we're never in hospital. You know, we, uh, we're, we, we were a close-knit family. We, you know, we kind of did a lot of things together. And it's especially, you know, around the time. Like, I was 29, like I said. So um, my, my, my parents and I, specifically because I was, you know, back home working with my parents. So I would see them on a daily basis. We'd be communicating on a, 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 a more consistent basis, right? So our relationship... Uh, well, my relationship with them grew um, specifically within that five-year period. Um, and what happened to me was, like, overnight, right? So right. got a call. You know, we don't know what the story is, but, you know, there's a plane that crash. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm, I'm working at the time, right? My, my, uh, my dad was on his way to we, – we were having a conference in – uh, Grand Bahama, another island in the Bahamas. And it's an annual conference that we have every year. Uh, we had actually had it, um, I think this was the first year, if I can remember correctly, that, that was the first year we were moving it to Freeport. So it, there was like this excitement that we were having, uh, you know, just something new, something fret, refreshing, you know, for the event, for the conference and all of that. So we, uh, I went up in advance. I went up a few days earlier um, to the start of the conference, and my dad was following with my parents. So I was there working, was communicating with my dad the whole time over the phone. Um, uh, let's fast forward to you know that Sunday evening where or Sunday afternoon, I should say. Uh, you know, whatever, where everything expired, right? My plane crashed. My parents passed, uh, along with you know a lot of other different people, my uncle and uh, you know some family friends, and. Like, I could remember, like, no one knowing what to say, right? Like, everyone was like, man, like, and I'm sure, like, everyone, like, you know, like, in retrospect, like, I'm just, I could look outside of myself and look at everyone who was around at the time and just imagine, like, how is, how did this loss affect everyone? Because, like, you could see it, right? Because, like, people were, some people were numb and just couldn't move, couldn't say some, couldn't say anything. They were like super emotional, and you had others who were like just trying to be comforting to the family and you know trying to do their best to say what they feel needed to be said. Um, and like one particular thing I could remember, and in speaking to 
like giving people the opportunity to speak to a counselor, right? Like that happened immediately for us. But my experience wasn't good, right? So I, I, I do feel like counseling is needed, but I think it needs to be something where like you, you're giving the person or the, like you're speaking to the individual first. Like you're telling them like, you know, this is what I think we need to do. How do you feel about it, right? Because we didn't get that opportunity. Like all they did, it was my sister, myself, my aunt, um, I think my cousins were there, um, who uh, was were, were the uh, son and daughter of my uncle who passed as well. All of us were brought into a, a room, the room that we were staying in at the time, and they brought like this this counselor. I can't remember if, it's, if it was a grief counselor, and I don't want to really call any names, just because of like the experience that I had and the, and the effect that it had on me, right? So this is... You know, the accident happened Sunday night. This is the next day. So this is literally less than 24 hours be beyond my parents passing, right? We sit in this room, the grief counselor, or the, the counselor, uh, I'm assuming it was a grief counselor. And they were just saying things like, you know, we have to release this from us and we have to let this go. You know, we, you know, they wanted us to mimic them, like lift your hands up. And when you turn your hands over, uh, I want you to release your parents and like allow them to go. Like so, imagine like my my reaction and my response, right? First of all, like I am super pissed that my parents passed, right? Right. Then I am now even more pissed that y'all don't even want me to like y'all. I'm not even being asked like how I am doing, right? right. I'm being asked to like release this. Just release like them let it go. essentially in your mind probably yeah. at the time too like accept just accept the fact and like move on and get over with it you've you brought up a very good point because clearly that person's not a grief counselor either because <laughs> there are stages of grief Absolutely. right and the the first one is an acceptance that's definitely the last mm -hmm. and so like there are different phases that one needs to go through and process and there's no and like i i tell my patients all the time i have no rule book or time book because every person is different. different. Mm -hmm. So how you may deal or cope with a situation might not be how the next person. So to even say that the counseling that you did receive was only in a group session was kind of poor too. Absolutely. So um, that segues into the next um, issue in terms of treatment. And there are different treatment modalities, even as it pertains to counseling. So there is grief counseling, there's exposure, there's desensitization, there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy where you like try to work, rework people's thinking and their actions, and dialectical behavioral therapy where the person's more engrossed in doing things, mm -hmm. right? So even with that, there are different types of treatment. Right. Some needs to be more individualized versus group, right? And the timeline varies depending on what type you're getting. No, I think the timeline was important, especially for me, though, because like I say, like our, it, it was just so unexpected. And I, I think I needed time to sit or even like someone to come to me and tell me, like, this is what we're thinking about. Like, how do you guys feel about it? Right. I feel like allowing me because I, you know, I was a 12 or 11 like you. Right. I right. was an adult at that point. So I think giving me. Uh, the opportunity to, to make the decision whether whether I wanted to be a part of it, and I just went through with it just out of respect for the people involved, right? Because I knew that they meant well. I knew that um, they were trying to help, right? Definitely going about it the wrong way, and I think it affected 
my openness to counsel right like right after because i remember like leaving the meeting like once we left that, that session i went to my aunt and i was like look let me tell you something i am never doing this again if, if anyone comes to me and talk what they want me to speak to a counselor or do whatever I'm not interested. I let you all know now. So don't come to me. Don't ask me. And even like to this day, my wife and I, we have conversations about it, knowing that. And I've, I've talked to a few people since then, but I probably should have, you know, more consistent conversations. Right. Because I think it's important to unpack like these emotions that are probably now built a wall up of um, just because of, you know, dealing with that traumatic experience and then going right into that session, which was another traumatic experience that didn't feel good for me, right? And I, I, could, I guess could you could imagine like how much times that happens um, on a day-to-day basis where people are trying to help, right? But they're not helping. So you say something that's, that we have in our culture that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So people are trying to do something good, but then it falls short, right? Um, I'm very sad for your experience because in, in reality, it has to be based on the person's willingness. Because I can give you another saying that we use quite frequently. Um, you can lead a horse to the well, but you can't make it drink. Mm-hmm. So the reality of it is, it is important. I could say how much, how important it is for you to get this therapy, to do this thing. But if you don't want to do it, then it's kind of pointless. And so therapeutic alliance is what we talk about too. The relationship you have with your therapist and different factors that might deter you from wanting to get that help having a bad experience so in your situation the analogy that i would use would would be i'm pretty sure you know how to ride a bike Mm -hmm. the first time you fell down off the bike did that stop you from riding the bike no you continue to ride the bike Mm -hmm. so that doesn't mean maybe the bike that you had wasn't the right bike for you Mm -hmm. or maybe you didn't have the equipment that you needed to ride that bike maybe you were too short you had needed a longer a bigger bike Etc. So in the same way, that therapy session was not the right session Absolutely. for you. So maybe you need to find a therapist or somebody or the type of therapy mm-hmm. that you do need that might be the better fit for you. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I I'm, I'm, I'm sharing that experience because I'm sure that happens like right. a lot of the time. And I just, you know, I want everyone to know like none of us are are immune to like these different traumatic experiences right and again we're just talking about like one aspect of mental illness right trauma uh, depression like loss like all of these well you know this that aspect that affects uh, each of us differently at different stages in our lives like yours was much earlier than than, than mine was um but like you know in 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 recognizing like the signs or the symptoms that we see right because uh you know i the older that I've gotten, I, I have now started to realize, like, we've always, I've always been dealing with or uh, been observing, like, my friends and family who have been dealing with mental, a mental illness. And it's not, like, drastic to say, like, like this is a, a severe case, but it's just, like, little signs where, man, like, that probably could have been recognized and a conversation could have been had or a suggestion could have been made right right so how so this my question is twofold like how, how do we what 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 are the signs to look for right like what do, and that may be an unfair question to ask because there are so many types of mental illnesses Correct. right but to the best of your ability like how 
how do we recognize the varying signs and then like what can we do as friends and family members to assist those around us who are displaying these signs so like you you did mention that is a very heavy to- uh, question it's very loaded because like i started out it's mental is a very big umbrella it encompasses a lot of things right but the key is to know what normal is and then kind of veer towards what abnormal right because un- until you know what normal is everything's going to seem abnormal so um so it's so and then i would assume that normal would vary from individual to individual as well so we right? use social and cultural as the the golden standard okay. in terms of psychiatry right so what's normal for your culture what's normal for your society as a whole mm. and then we kind of segue um the biggest i guess red flags or indicators of having mental illnesses something that i ask the family members or the people that bring that are bringing the person in if they're not coming alone um patterns in sleep and patterns in appetite like those i would ask those two questions probably 100% of any interview because you can tell a lot about a person's sleep pattern and most of the DSM-5 diagnoses include some pattern of sleep mm-hmm. that has changed. So if you start to notice that your relative or your loved one or whomever is up all through the night, they're not sleeping or they're sleeping too much, those are typically a red flag. Mm-hmm. Like to say, okay, well, why why is that person doing that? And like you mentioned, um, it's, it could be small little things that you notice. So changes in their behaviors and their patterns could indicate, well, you know, that's a little abnormal. This person wasn't doing this a few weeks ago. Um, and then either bringing them in or convincing them that they, meet, they might need some help. But how, like, how does a conversation happen, though, right? Because like, I remember like, when I lost my parents, I literally remember, like, I, I don't know if I ate for two weeks so right? changes in appetite Ch- uh, no absolutely right? <laughs> right and i know i definitely wasn't sleeping well but like i don't remember like eating for like two to three weeks and there were a lot of people you know during that time like everyone is cooking and bringing food to assist like with the family or whatever um but it was just difficult like you didn't have an appetite and, and whatnot right so when you recognize that, like, how do you have the conversation? Like, do you sit down and be... Because I'm, I'm, obviously it depends on your personal relationship with that individual um, and the level of comfort that they have with that type of conversation, possibly. Um, but, like, you know, what, what would your suggestion be as far as, like, trying to convince them? Like, what are, what are ways or things that can be said to convince them to at least have a conversation with someone? So, um, as a part of psychiatry, in terms of our physical examination, we use something called the mental status examination, right? And a part of that includes the insight. So, some people might have insight to their illness, meaning that they understand that, hey, I do recognize that I'm having these changes. And so, those people you might be able to convince and say, well, you know, you've been doing this, this, this. Your behavior, you were putting... um, I guess, tires in the refrigerator, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously a I far stretch. You. Mm-hmm. But like you, you've been doing X, Y, and Z a thing, and you might be able to convince that person that, hey, I think I know a, of a person that you may be able to talk to. This seems a little bit abnormal. Maybe they could do an assessment on you and see, and we could go from there with if there is something that we need to be concerned about versus there isn't, mm-hmm. right? Then those are people that lack insight, so they don't think that there's anything wrong with them. They're like floridly ill they're acutely sick 
those type of persons may need a little bit more assistance. So it's not going to be a, hey, I need to take you to the, the doctor right quick. It might be, hey, let me call the ambulance. Let me call the police. Let me get some extra assistance to get this person there, especially if they're either a threat to themselves or others, because you don't want it to linger on too long. And what about persons that may be in denial or hesitant, right? Because like you say, there's a stigma behind like dealing with mental health, right? So I approach one of my friends and I'm like, hey, bro, look, I, I've been seeing some signs of things that just doesn't look too normal for me, at least based off what my normal is would be for you and like I just want us to go have a conversation with someone right and I you know it, it, would you suggest taking them to the counselors or therapists or psychiatrist's office or bringing the psychiatrist to them or is it one of those things where like tell me what you're comfortable with and we'll, we'll kind of make it up and I think it depends on the conversation mm-hmm. and their intellect too and their willingness to want to get treatment it might need a little bit more convincing than that one-off conversation with them. Um, But you don't want to be too forceful, um, especially if they're not like a threat to themselves or others. Because to your point, when you were fully immersed in that situation, that completely turned you off. So you don't want one of those situations either. So if it's something like that where you feel like it's somebody that you're friendly with, you don't want to uncheck it either. So you don't want to be like, well, I'm sticking my head in the sand and ignoring these things. Mm being like upfront, hey, I've seen that you've done X, Y, and Z a thing. Maybe we need to talk to somebody. Maybe you could go by yourself. I think it'll be confidential. I know this person. This person's recommended. Um, I think this person might be suited for you. Just give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we didn't talk about but is very important, sometimes general medical conditions can mimic uh, mental health illnesses mm-hmm. too. So what we routinely do, at least for me, um, making sure that that person gets a wellness check in terms of, you know, their laboratory investigation. So things like there, there's this gland in the neck called the thyroid. If it is pushing out too many hormones, then that can cause you to become what we call manic. And if it has too little, it can cause you to be depressed. So like working out and making sure that you're not having a medical condition, something like a STI or a brain um, tumor or something like that, that could influence this strange behavior, this mood, is very important too. So making sure that they go to see their general practitioner mm-hmm. is also very important. So there are m- medical conditions that can cause mental illnesses. Correct. Wow. They, the, great, the great mimickers. Wow. So it's very important that, you know, holistically you're mm-hmm. checking up on everything. Okay. All right. Didn't know that. I, you know, I think this is a good point just to mention to everyone out there. Um, like, Check on your friends, man. Like, I, I have friends that, at the least, like, I'd send them a text just to find out, like, make sure they're doing well. How are you doing? Like, what's going on? And I'm talking, like, friends that you know are going through situations, Your right? strong friends. Yeah, right? yeah, Because yeah. people say, you know, I didn't think that this person was going to commit suicide. Because mm-hmm. it's your strong friends. Like, the people that you think, oh, Aren't they have it all it. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have it all together. Okay, but they don't like because everybody's going through something mm-hmm. and that everybody's dealing with those stressors differently and so even with like let's since you you brought up like strong or people who appear to be stronger than others right, right? i'm sure that there are signs that 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 they show as well correct um, and they may be better at hiding it uh, to certain people but like how how do you assist them how do you help them what are signs that you look for with persons that you may 
uh, may think are stronger because I would consider to be and you know what let's let's have this conversation right because when I was going through the depression of dealing with my parents like I, I got to the point where I wasn't suicidal but I understood how people get to that point right like, like I understood asking yourself like like do I really want to like be here like continue to go through this continue to feel these feelings and go through these emotions like I, rem- I could remember remember specifically it was it was a morning I was in the shower and I was just kind of this might have been like two days later two days after my my parents had passed and I guess remember like thinking and, and talking to myself and just being like boy I I I guess remember saying like boy I get it now like I truly get it now because prior to that my question would always used to be like but how people is get to the point where they they wanted to end yeah they want they wanted to end right and for me it was like wow I get it now like I get how you could get to that point right and I think because I think the difference is well maybe not the difference let me let me not say that but I think the strength for me was I had a good spiritual foundation right right? and I think that assisted assisted me a lot when those thoughts came about right but you have a lot of people who aren't there so you know going back to like those strong individuals or people who who appear to be strong like how do we um like what what can we do like how can we help so first and foremost is breaking the stigma Mm. right understanding that mental health is important and it's just not persons that are crazy, right? Stop using derogatory terms, thinking that it's essential to get help, right? So once we normalize wellness checks, so just as you go for a physical, it's okay to go to your therapist and get a mental wellness check. Um, Then after the stigma is kind of minimized, um, understanding the signs. So for other outside lay people to understand that, hey, this person has become more secluded, reclusive. They're not as social as they were once were like maybe like you said i'm checking up on them a little mm. bit more frequently giving them the a little bit more tips and tools hey i i see that you're not engaging in these hobbies is that something that they probably pull back because they're feeling too stressed they're not as sociable they're not going out as much so kind of like going over to them making sure hey did you eat today checking up um how, how have you been sleeping mm. um we talk about sleep hygiene um, and therapy too, like tips and tools so that you can get better in that that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and just noticing the signs. So like I spoke about with depression, um, changes in sleep, changes in appetite, mm-hmm. concentration, so they're not performing as well on the job. Their energy seems a little bit more less than normal. Um, and normalizing, having the conversation about suicide. So saying that talking about suicide is okay. Um, asking the general practitioner could even ask have you been having these self-harm thoughts wanting to end your life and to your point not everybody is saying that i want to end my life but they're saying you know i don't want to be here anymore Mm -hmm. and that could be a red flag to say they might not be suicidal but they have no interest to live um so recognizing those signs and saying well convincing or trying to help and build that insight with those persons and say well, we have somebody that we could talk to. And to your point, even maybe bringing that person in. Mm-hmm. Like, I have this person, you may be able to talk to them. It might not be a good fit, but at least hear out what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe they continue, maybe they don't, maybe they see somebody else. But at least it opens the door. But not just sticking your head in the sand and pretending that you didn't see it. Right. And I think that's that, that's the main thing, right? Don't ignore the signs. Right. Um, 
because I think for for years, especially our community, meaning the black community, like we we ignore science. Like we right. just say, oh, this person just needs to like he just hungry or he just having a bad day. When like no, like this it's a little more drastic than that, and there may need to be a conversation that need to be had. Um, so I, I wanted to ask a, a question, right? And I, I think because like mental health has 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 come so much to the forefront in uh in of discussion especially you know amongst our generation and uh the gen z is right and they're much more comfortable having a conversation now like should society change its view on mental health and, and mental illnesses of course because that helps with breaking the stigma and what, normalizing how, it so how how what what changes do you think could or should be made the first um, social media platforms that discuss, normalize it, make it like an everyday conversation, me, you chilling, why not? Why aren't we talking about mental health more? Why aren't we saying that this is something normal? Everybody experiences something. So everybody goes through something. Everybody's dealing with something. How do we deal with it better, right? Normalizing that conversation, putting out PSAs, putting it out on social media to say that this is what I'm going through or this is how I can get help for X, Y, and Z a thing. Um, next month, May, is Mental Health Month. So bringing awareness to the different disorders. This month, actually. This month. This month. Is right. Mental right, Health Month. Right. Yeah, funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> this month is Mental Health Month. That's part of the reason why I wanted to have this discussion, right? Right. Because um, I think it is important. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So bringing awareness, I think, is the first and foremost. So breaking the stigma and making sure people are aware of different signs and symptoms. And once you are aware, I think that that brings in the normalcy of getting the help that is needed. Because other people, oh, my favorite celebrity is doing X, Y, and thing. They're okay, they're getting help. Why can't I? And you, you think that the fact that celebrities are having that discussion is a good thing then? I do, because mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we live in a social media world, mm -hmm. and that's the reality right now, that people want to live the life that they see on TV, live that life that they see on Instagram. If it's normalized to the point of, okay, well, I see this person doing it, and they're living a healthy, productive life, then so can I. Mm -hmm. Because normal people have mental illnesses normal people have sicknesses so why don't do you think that you too can't be you know? no 100 percent. i think a lot of us deal with uh mental health issues um on a daily basis right and i think it comes and goes uh and i think the way just as much as you work in your health i think you should be working on your mental health because like you say mental health is health right right and i think they they are one in the same um Man, this is this has been a, a great conversation. Um, I want to uh, thank you for coming. Thank, thank you, you for, for having me. For sharing me a twash list. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, but I mean, you, you could have just just jumped in the conversation. <laughs> nah, this this has been a good conversation though. But that's that's my wife, you know, being bossy as, as usual. Uh, but she has a question that she wants to. I have questioned it. Yep. Oh. Oh yes. She has questions. Should I, you want me to list all of the heart forward? Let's go one by one. Okay, mm -hmm. so the first one is, how do you know when you need a therapist versus a psychiatrist? Okay, so I I published, or not published, I posted something actually um, recently that st spoke about who needs a psychiatrist. Everybody needs a psychiatrist mm -hmm. because I spoke about it earlier where it was, we do wellness checks. So it's not just, you know, the pathology. Everybody could use, you know, a therapist to talk to, to, to make sure that everything is going okay. So everybody. 
The second one, I think we touched a little about it, is about church and how a lot of times in our society, because we are a Christian nation, people think that church heals everything and just what are your pastor? And we know Jesus is our source and have faith in all these things, but how do we get that mindset to change to say, well, we need a little while to go into a church pastor. We need, you know, an extra step. Perfect question, because I say this all the time. Faith without works is dead. Absolutely. So the... God gave us, you know, the knowledge, the know-how to make medications, to help heal people. And that comes from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint. So there were medications created from the ground, from the earth, herbalistic, that can help people. So God gave us the know-how to help. So without the faith and the works, the works is, you know, you doing your part, you going to your therapist, you taking your medication. You could pray about it all you want, but if you don't put in the works, meaning doing your part to help heal yourself, then you're going to be in a worse state than you are now. Yeah, I think too, when we're talking about like faith, and th- there is a negative stigma when, when it comes to uh, mental health and mental health is illnesses uh, in the Christian community, right? Because everyone thinks that you could pray it away. Like, oh my goodness, I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard like just just pray it makes me cringe honestly (laughs) like i i do get cringy because i am a christian right i do believe in god and so like i do believe in you know going to church and believing in healing and believing in the power of prayer but at the same time you're not supposed to be stupid god didn't put us here to be foolish Mm -hmm. um so there are um advances in medicine advances in you know our life that we should use and take advantage of right because you like you out you get a cold right you ain't gonna just say, oh, let me pray this cold away. Like, you go into the store, you're gonna buy some, some Buckley's for all my bandmates. Y'all know what Buckley's is. You're gonna buy some rubber tussins, some Theraflu. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna try get to some medication right. to try and. and faith with work. <laughs> faith faith with gonna, work. Put that work in. You're gonna in. have faith with works, right? right? You're gonna pray that the cold leaves, but you're also gonna get some medication. Do your part I to take feel better. Because the same way. Right. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. My next question is uh, I've read a lot of things about black women mental health specifically and how we are diagnosed or we are misdiagnosed at some size can be irritability anger um anxiety and so how do you ensure that you go to someone who is specifically going to cater to the needs of black people or black women so we're not in this most what these things are best so very important question because that's going to tag segue me into something, I guess, that we really don't have time to talk about. But something that we didn't really hit on was, you know, female mental health and more specifically postpartum depression, things that affect women on an exponential rate because it's typically missed. Um, short story, but it can be longer. But as it pertained to me, I had a baby in the States, my four-year-old son. And What's up, Cairo? <laughs> and... I say that because there, during that time, there was a lot of things. I think Serena just had her kid, too, or after. And uh, a lot of things were in the media about black women specifically and as it pertained to medical care. And in that same vein, it is known that black women don't receive the necessary care because it's thought, which is crazy to me, when you hear it until you experience it, that our pain and threshold levels are different. Higher, yeah. um, I had an epidural. I am a doctor. <laughs> so they placed the epidural and it was failing. 
right? And I'm telling the anesthetist, like, hey, I think that it's moving, et cetera, et cetera. So they gave me more medications. And this happened over the course of several hours where this happened on and off for a few more times. To the point where the last time, like closer to, I guess, me delivering. And I'm like, no, I really feel like you guys are pushing the medication, but it's draining down my back. It's, you know, it's not working. You're supposed to have pressure. It's not really pain. Do you, are you sure that it's pain? X, Y, and Z a thing. And I'm just like, bruh, like, no. Like, I'm like now in tears because it's just like, I am in pain. Like, it's not, this is pressure. Like, I'm in pain. Like, I feel the, the, thing, the thing draining down my back. It's failing. Because when they first placed it, I like, it was placed too far to the left. And I told him this. My left side went completely numb to my shoulder. Oh. If anybody knows that when you get an epidural, it's only supposed to numb in from your umbilicus down. From my shoulder, I literally passed out, had an allergic reaction, almost died, essentially. And they, they weren't listening then. Like I said, several hours later, I had this thing. The dude literally says to me, oh, yeah, you're right. It's out. I'm like, oh, why didn't we check it before? But I say that to say, like, yes, there is. So they went through, like, apologizing to me for hours, et cetera. Like, another story for another day. But I, I went to that to say that, yes, our pain, our tears, they go unnoticed. Um, so to your point or your original question, finding, uh, and we spoke about therapeutic alliance, finding that person that maybe for a female, going to a black therapist, going to a black female therapist that can relate um, to the other medical professionals, screening, mm. um, screening in your private offices to say, hey, we're screening for depression, even though you might not have it, doing a screen for persons that had a baby for um, mental health illnesses that might have came as a result because having a baby isn't easy, sure. right? So yeah. like now this is a new life change. You've gone through all of these different hormones and you're out of whack. You need somebody. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage anybody who, who just had a baby, is having a baby, um, the pressures of life when people are asking you, hey, when are you having your baby? <laughs> like those things happen and those they, they do spark, you know, mental health issues because it's just like why are you all in my business mm-hmm. right so it's just like understanding that it's okay to talk to somebody um and just finding that right fit outlay therapy psychiatry is very expensive a lot of times it's not medically covered fully um and we don't let it's expensive um and it's just as important as other parts of newborn nervous system and system. right um, is there a way for us to advocate for this to be covered or are there free to minimal cost uh, clinics or options for people to take advantage of audit island? So if we're speaking specifically to the Bahamas, um, there is the notion that in mental health is expensive. Healthcare is expensive. Um, but to that, I say, would you, there are people that say healthcare is expensive, for example, but they're in the bar every week. So you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars drinking away your sorrows when you can actually be doing better. People say the gym is expensive, but you find your way to the gym because it it's healthy, is. right? 100%. <laughs> it's healthy. So it's what what is your expensive? What is your, this is too much. Dying is too much too. Absolutely. Right? Doing something that can cause your life is too much. So what are you willing to spend your money on? But outside of that, it's, it's important to reach out to the insurance companies because they do 
some of them don't cover uh, mental health issues, which is kind of sad, but I think a lot of them are becoming uh, more cognizant to the fact that you, mental health it should, um, be should be covered. Mm-hmm. It should be one of those things that you, like you get your annual physical, you need a mental health check too. What I always find weird is that some um, insurances don't cover like eyes and dental. Aren't I a whole body? <laughs> like, why are you saying that my teeth shouldn't be covered and my eye yeah. checks shouldn't be covered? Same way. So I think, you know, advocating to those insurance companies, making sure that they're aware that, hey, I'm a whole person. That includes my brain. That includes my eyes. That includes my teeth. Like, can I get a wellness? So w- that's one thing. Um, and just making sure that everybody's on board. And like I said, in terms of the expense, yeah, um, it can get expensive, but how how much do you want to pay? Do you want to pay in life or do you want to pay in death? Mm-hmm. Um, and to answer your last question as it pertains to, there are um, private entities that cover mental health and there are um, government entities, and I work for both. So there are, you know, the government sector has the in-hospital um, sector, which is Sandalins, and then there's the Community Counseling and Assessment Center on Collins Avenue. Um, that deals with the general public. People say the $5 to pay for, you know, um, what's it called? Your check-in fee, Mm -hmm. that's expensive. So I mean, expensive is relative, relative, right? So essentially that's a free service because a lot of times if you don't have the $5 to check in, we're still gonna see you. Mm -hmm. But we, this is another cringy thing because I mean, this is kind of segueing into something completely different, but it, it's about general medical health. In our community, people don't like to pay for health care, which is crazy to me because they feel as though you should go to a hospital, have a baby, have a service, and not pay for it. Why? Mm. It's expensive. Mm. Like, um, speaking to my own experience, everything that they do in the hospital is a cost. Mm. Taking your blood, drawing any tests, giving you oxygen, those things are associated with a cost. But in our community, we feel as though those should be free. Only Jesus paid it all. <laughs> like, someone had to pay the cost. Once again, faith <laughs> without works, right. guys. So at the end of the day, it's just what do you deem important for yourself? Yeah, yeah. Now, I think, you know, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, man, so this this has been a, uh, a great conversation. I. Uh, I enjoy this, right? Um, but this is the, the segment of the pod where uh, I want to leave a milestone with you guys, right? And as you know, this is something I want to leave with you to, to take away, um, to think about, ponder about, and apply to your lives, right? And the milestone today is simple. Your health is important too. I don't think it's something that we should neglect. Like there is, it, is impo- it is going to be impossible for, for us to fulfill our purpose if we're not able to live long enough to do so, right? So your health is important, and that includes uh, your mental health. You know, we're in Mental Health Month, uh, so we're bringing awareness to mental health. So I want to encourage you to understand and believe that your health is important too. Uh, If you're not getting yearly checkups, uh, semi-annual checkups, do so, right? I I think we need to make ensuring that we are healthy, and prepared to live and live long and, and effective lives, um, you need to make that a norm. Uh, and just understanding the fact that your health is important, um, I think is something that we all should, should know and, and, and believe in, all right? So your health is important too, and be healthy and live a long life, all right? Thank you. 
So we've come to the end of the pod. This has been such a great pod. Dr. Knowles. Thank you for thank having you me. so much for, for being here. I think I'm going to make this uh, a consistent thing. You'll probably be uh, you'll probably be a friend of the pod now. Uh, I love it. The the psychiatrist to the Miles High pod. Uh, <laughs> so you're gonna be a consistent face here on this uh, on this couch. I'm ready. And we're gonna be continuing this conversation. For those of you out there who have listened to or watched this pod, whatever platform you're listening to or watching on, and you have a comment, you have a question, uh, put them under under the, this uh, particular episode. And you know, we I want to address those. And if we get enough questions, we get enough comments, uh, we're definitely going to bring you back. Even if we don't get enough, we're going to bring you back. I'll try to look and make sure I can answer the questions too in the <laughs> no, comments. No, for sure. <laughs> but we, I, we, do, we, we do want to uh, have you back so that we could address those, you know, on, actually on the pod. Um, but I think it would be good for you to give your your contact information, IG, social media platforms, all of that. Uh, let's, let's let our, our listeners know where they can find you if they want to. So I am um, in government and private practice. I work at Sandalins Rehabilitation Center. I work at the prison at the Bahamas Department of Corrections um, in the forensic service. I also work at Princess Margaret Hospital during my on-call hours. Um, and currently also at Oak Tree Medical Center. Um, you can find me at the specialty clinic on Collins Avenue. So I'll leave my number um, on the screen. <laughs> So the number Below. is going to be somewhere, somewhere on the screen here. Hi. You guys could uh, uh, contact her, uh, reach out to her if you need some help. But uh, unfortunately, that's for our folks uh, in the Bahamas. Uh, if you're for all of our international listeners, if you're ever in the Bahamas and you would like to get in contact with Dr. Knowles, um, international coming soon. Oh, she, <laughs> boss lady, going in. Congrats, man. Congrats on everything. Thank you. Congrats Thank you again for having me. Thank you again for being here, man. Um, and as you know, as always, this part, the goal is to entertain, educate, and elevate you miles high above your fears, your doubts, and any limitations that you feel exist, uh, always knowing that those limitations only exist in your mind. This has been a great part. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time. Y'all stay blessed. <laughs>